Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Billington, and we're back to preview this weekend's British Grand Prix. And for once, we're not actually recording this on the Monday way ahead of time. It's Wednesday evening, so we've got a bit of British Grand Prix-related news and we've got some really hot-off-the-press topics to chat about. And I say we because, as ever, I'm joined by His Royal Highness Timo Albus-Daly and Her Majesty Ellie Mae Taylor. I've decided to be kind to you both with the introduction this time around. I've been, I've been mean to Timo a lot recently with these, so I figured I'd at least be nice for once. How are you both? It's the British Grand Prix. It's fair enough that we go along this kind of line. It just feels we've got to do things extra proper for Silverstone. Yeah. I'm hoping we're part of different royalty. Yes, yeah, different royal families. Married. Yeah. Mm. That's why you, you both still just, got separate surnames. You know you can be related without having to marry either of us. The thought has crossed our mind, though. We'll move on. <laughs> um, we'll move. Do you know what I saw today? Oh, dear. God. It didn't take long. It went, oh. It's not that long. I saw an MG midget. Oh, what year? Did it have black bumpers, chrome bumpers, round wheel arch? I saw it very late, so all I can tell you is that it's navy. Okay. That that it? That's it. Excellent. Ellie Mae's car spotting corner brought to you by Cinch. Um, Reminds me of you. Thank you. We'll move on to what the hell has happened. And we'll start with the big, big news, which literally dropped this afternoon. F1 has unveiled their 2024 calendar. And oh boy, is it a hot pile of trash. 24 races now vaguely regionalised. Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Australia still open a calendar. Then we travel to Japan and China before tackling Miami, as opposed to making our way to Florida via Azerbaijan. Uh, then we go to Imola and Monaco before going to Canada Canada has never been in Europe. I don't know why we've regionalised it and still stuck Canada on its own little the thing. The thing I will say to that is that I think Bernie, back when he was in charge, put like a really long deal for them in place so that it had to be in that portion of the year and they just can't find a way around it yet. God, I was going to say... Is such a long-lasting problem. Fun though, because he gets to annoy you still after all this time and that's just fun to watch. So thank you, Bernie, for that, if nothing else. My thought process behind it was that Australia is part of Eurovision, so it's quite difficult to actually know what part of sort of what countries in are actually in Europe and what aren't. That's such an American excuse. <laughs> it's hard to know what countries that's, are in that's... Europe. It's a pretty defined concept. I was looking at Algiers and going, no, that might be in that might be in Europe. Well, how is Australia in Europe, please? Well, it's different element because that's for Eurovision and because they don't it's... really care. Whereas this one, they have access to a map and can look at it. Yeah. It, it, that's not that we're not also, whilst we're, whilst we're going on slight problems with, with the actual calendar, Jesse. I'm kind of confused. Like, Japan, China makes sense. Why not lob Singapore in there as well? We go there later instead. Possibly wrong time of the year for it. I don't know. But again, seasonally, it, but like it's quite earlier the year to be going even from the north. It seems yeah. hard to just do it later on. I don't know. Just pop it all together. Yeah. Um, so we do Canada, then we go back to finishing off Europe. So we come back for Spain, Austria, Britain, Hungary, and Belgium. Then we get a summer break. Then we have the Netherlands, Italy, Azerbaijan, finally before returning to the East, just for Singapore, then going East again until we essentially are in the West, where we arrive in Cota. Then we do Mexico, Brazil, Las Vegas. Then it's Qatar and Abu Dhabi. I've made a doodle of it um, of essentially this year's calendar mapped out 
next year's calendar mapped out. So you can see that it's a step in the right direction, but it's certainly by no means perfect. We've also then done a simple doodle of how to get those 24 races in a very logical order around the world. And trust me, there is not that. There is a far better way of doing it, even if you're bored using literally, I think it was like preview on my Mac at work. Um, it's also so, one of the longest calendars that we've got because it starts essentially, even though the race isn't in February, it starts in February. It yeah, lasts all the way until the second week of December. December. Yeah, it's so, it's so long. long. And we've got this weird kind of fall summer break going on between Kota and, or Singapore and Kota, I think, in October. There's a suspiciously big gap there for no apparent reason. Yeah. And the same in November. Yeah, we sort of have like a period of two recesses halfway through, which is odd. Um, but crucially, we're also still racing as one, apparently, importantly, but we're also doing that in at least six countries where it's actively unsafe to be a member of the LGBTQ plus community, which hot off the back of Pride Month is obviously worth remembering the fact that F1 has obviously been racing with Pride flags on cars and sort of actively supporting it as it does with its We Race as One, but then still fills up its 24 race calendar with at least six locations where it's very actively bad to be a member of those communities and further you know the country. life there is going to be it's better to race in those countries and try and work from the inside to promote a better and more understanding community than not go there at all and isolate them you know that's just what they're going to say that's exactly what the line is but they haven't actually proven that works because it's oh no i'm just saying what their defense is going to be i don't have anything else for them because it's not my job to do that yet, yet but it, it's a terrible defense like miami's still on the list but you can know longer... didn't fit jesse they it, it's just annoying and there's so many main issues with this i won't go on about it for hours i could because there are so many problems with it but anyway um the more pressing issue is the fact that we're now up to a 24 race calendar which is well, frankly enormous we you assume china happens this time yeah provisionally up to 24 races which is damn near half the weekends of any given year and that's a huge workload on teams. And obviously, these are teams that are going to be working Monday through Fridays, and then are also expected to do a Saturday and Sunday. Like that is a big demand on your employees. And surely you're going to have to start bringing in like two cycling loads of people working in sort of pattern shifts through the year. Otherwise, this is just going to be grueling, and you're going to lose any sense of job satisfaction. You're just going to be absolutely shattered by the time that you get to Abu Dhabi in December. The problem with that is all your well, majority of your employees are under the cost cap, so they're not going to employ any more people. Have sort of two teams to do all the calendar so yeah. that others have time off. So it is just going to be the one team being very stretched. And that just seems hideously imperfect. So yeah, that's that's 2024's calendar. And like I said at the opening of it, it's a hot pile of trash. And while on the face of it, it looks like it's solved vaguely a small element of a major problem with Formula One, all it's done is lift the lid again on many of its other issues. So I still think it would just be more fun to if we have to start and end in the Middle East, do kind of what they've done, but just then move across the globe instead of bouncing back and forth to a few places just literally move around as you go and you'll end up back where you started it does when you look at the map it does literally look like someone played pong on across the map and just a, a less, a less where it went. pongy version of pong than we're used to but still a game of pong nonetheless yeah it's just horrendous anyway um on some more positive news and essentially working a bit closer to silverstone in fact very much next door to it um aston martin have moved into their new factory Yes, they have. It, uh, they've moved 
out of their old, old outdated extraordinary factory and into their new £250 million purpose-built factory, which will house the team's design, manufacturing and marketing resource departments. The new factory is part of a five-year plan for Aston Martin and was meant to open in summer 2021. But with the pandemic, among other factors, because construction or anything to do with real estate is never on time, it meant that it was pushed back two years. The factory has been tailored to about a headcount of 700 people. The cost cap probably won't allow for much more than that. And it has been designed to put people first, such as allowing a lot of natural light into the factory so that employees aren't working under artificial lighting, which also aids one of many ways Aston Martin in reducing their carbon footprint by 278 tonnes a year. I think I saw that someone said that whilst, you know, if you look at the McLaren headquarters, um, in Woking, oh, yeah. Um, they said whilst you've got that huge floor-to-ceiling windows at the front, where the offices are, they're actually quite far back, and it's actually very dark, so they're still working in artificial lighting, so it doesn't particularly help them. But anyway, yeah, the um, floor-to-ceiling bit of Woking is great for showing off all your historic cars and great for filming Star Wars TV shows in. But beyond that, it's a bit of a vanity project. And Fast and Furious. Which bit of Fast and Furious was filmed? Hobbs and Shaw. Was a Idris Elba uses it as his base. Oh yeah, that's such a forgettable film. <laughs> yeah, but in a fun way, it's a fun thing to just have on in the background. I fell asleep watching it. That says a lot about you and just not knowing how to have fun. I haven't finished Fast and Furious nine yet because I keep falling asleep with it. Anyway, anyway, if you just stop watching it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. back to Aston Martin. Yes. Anyway, the um. The factory is also a hugely open plan. There's a 160-metre-long walkway through the main, main building on the ground floor, whilst the upper floor will accommodate the design office and is one open plan area, which will be the first time the team is under one roof. The team has previously broken up between the extraordinary factory that they now have, porter cabins, and rented office spaces off campus. So the communication between the team is difficult, and now they can communicate much more effectively. You know, if a colleague needs to see another, they can just walk up to them as they are under one roof, and it will bring sort of that new sense of sort of enthusiasm and determination within the team. I think Bernie Collins, who was previously Aston Martin's head strategist and is now a Sky Sports pundit, said on the weekend that she was there the other week to celebrate Women in Engineering Day and she said how vastly different this office is to what they previously had and also among that construction is a £150 million state-of-the-art wind tunnel which is still under construction due to sort of how much work it would take to build one. The factory is on quite soft grounds, so tons of concrete is required to create sort of strength and stability required which is, if it's anything like the state-of-art facility that we had just built when I was working at a large aerospace firm, one section of the factory was dedicated to testing aeroplane wings and they needed so much concrete, it took 24 continuous hours to fill up the ground. So that's sort of, I, I assume, the large sort of scale that they're going to have to kind of do as well, albeit they're not testing huge aeroplane wings, but it's the amount of energy that they're going to need. is It's going to be need, need to be very stable. But... Their wind tunnel is estimated to be up and running about this time next year-ish, and they'll start using it to produce their 2025 car. With their own wind tunnel, they're currently using Mercedes. It means Aston Martin will be able to operate how they like, 
when they like within their allocated wind tunnel time, dependent on where they finished the previous season. Aston Martin have made huge steps forward since the start of last year, and with the increase in better infrastructure and personnel, it's exciting to see what Aston Martin's trajectory will be like in the coming years. And it shows Lance Stroll's determination and dedication in making them a top team. And of course, if you're paying the bill for this, you'll want a slice of luxury. So Mr. Stroll's private office is, of course, a corner, a corner plot with a balcony, floor-to-ceiling windows, along with his private helipad next to the factory. I, <laughs> I was going to say, how much do you, how much alone do you think the helipad probably costs? Or just his little office space? Yes. £175,000, I think, is probably what he would spend for a helipad as well. He could probably have an ornament in his office that only costs £175,000. Yeah. And I've still got the rest of the office to do. I don't know. Do you do you have a figure or are you just simply asking us for guesswork on this? No, I'm just asking, I wonder how much of his own personal requirements out of 250 million. It's going to be interesting, and especially if you're following the auction they had for all the bits from the old factory. They were auctioning off all sorts of weird bits and pieces like old desk chairs and like general office space bits, including the old smoking hut from around the back, which was literally just an open-faced shed with a bench in it. And I don't know how much someone paid for it. I'd have to Google it or add it into the show notes or something. But it was it was literally just an standard smoking shelter. But That's what we use that for one of their pit bulls soon. That's good. You just simply send a flat-packed shed. Um, it's interesting, certainly seeing Aston Martin make this big move forward and very much sort of certifies how much of a, a step forward they're expecting to take. And obviously, they're taking on Honda from 2025, I think it is, um, as their engine provider. So they've got some big, big projects ahead that they're obviously going to need this space for and likely utilise. So it's certainly going to be interesting. But a quick one, uh, something that's literally just sort of broken on my phone. Um July 15th, uh, by the way, we record this on the 5th, is when Andretti and Cadillac expect news on their Formula One entry bid, says exec director of GM's motorsports division. He says, we're trying to race the 2025 season, so we've been work going hardcore with Andretti to design the 25 car, which is interesting news. We obviously touched on the arrival of possible new teams into Formula One on the review of the Austrian Grand Prix, and it seems like Andretti and Cadillac are sort of putting in a big final push to try for something it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of that i hope it does there's no reason not to same and if they are successful do you think they'll bring in roman grosjean not maybe as a driver as an an advisory role because at the minute say advisory role please not as a driver maybe (laughs) as a test driver to get all the crashing done out of the way and to test what it's like but please not as an actual driver i want him back as an actual driver I know he's enjoying it. You just don't want Andretti to do well, do you? I know. I just want my boy Grosjean back. That's all I want in life is my, a chance to buy Just go watch it. IndyCar. I do watch IndyCar. But I'll then be happy with that. I just want Grosjean back. Is that too much to ask for? Anyway. Yes. Um, next thing on our list, notes-wise, is Alpha Tauri are no longer going to be called Alpha Tauri. This rather follows on um, about the mutterings we had about Red Bull's sister team getting closer to the big team in a previous episode. And um, there's no word on what they're going to be called yet. I think Red Bull Light would be quite a good one to go for. Yuki said he's quite unlike Toroso. Which there was nothing wrong with that, and AlphaTauri has clearly been really successful as a as a brand for them. So maybe just revert I back. Own, yeah, I own tons of AlphaTauri clothing. I don't know about you. I wear nothing but AlphaTauri clothing. I'm wearing some right now. 
yeah, I don't know. I can't see this Alpha, the Alpha Tauri thing having really worked. <laughs> no offense, Jesse, but if that's Alpha Tauri, I can see why it's not going off the shelves too. <laughs> this is a fantastic shirt. Leave it alone. Um, we'll move on from my choice of shirts and the possible rename of Alpha Tauri to probably Toro Rosso, let's face it. Unless Although, they go... if you're listening and want to have a better suggestion, do let us know. We'll read them out if you give us some suggestions. Yeah, if you put some suggestions in the comments on the Spotify or the YouTube, let us know and we'll read them out on the next episode. Um, I still think they should go back to Minardi. That was quite good. You know, um, you know you get sort of like big cans of like Coca-Cola, like fizzy drinks, things like that. Is there anything for the names of like, you know, you get kind of smaller ones to go alongside like your alcoholic beverage. You get like a smaller tin. Yeah, can. like the mixer ones. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what they should be. Red Bull mixer. Because they're little. But you're not supposed to mix Red Bull. It literally says on the cans not to be used as a mixer. And yet we make yeah. bombs with it. Everyone. Exactly. I used and to say they will be mixing Jager Red bombs. Bull because they're trying to get closer to what their car looks like. So it would work quite well as a name. Yeah, so they should in reality drag Jägermeister back into Formula One because the old Jägermeister liveried cars look dope. And I think Red Bull, Jägermeister, I think when they crash, it's going to look fantastic, provided <laughs> right? it doesn't explode. Um, moving on from that concept, uh, Mick Schumacher has been busy testing the 2021 McLaren at Portimao. Um, it's not really been much for his benefit, but obviously he is linked to the team as one of their test and development drivers. This was very much used as a private test uh, as, and also as a training experience for McLaren's engineering and mechanical apprentices, as well as their interns, giving them all valuable experience working in a trackside environment which I think is quite quite a good use of time and resources, really. If you're going to focus on developing a next generation of essentially people behind the scenes, it makes sense to give them this opportunity to work trackside and get used to the field ops early on. But it's nice to see them finding a use for Mick Schumacher as well, I suppose. I kind of forgot he was their test driver until I saw him. I was like, oh, yeah, he does have double duties there. It's nice to see that they're really utilising him a lot this year. Oh, wait. <laughs> Oh, wait. Well, to be fair, he has been pretty much tied to the um, sim rig at Mercedes HQ. So, sort of, I think this was a, a brief weekend. They let him go and drive a car. Unfortunately, it had to be 2021's McLaren, but uh, besides the point. Um, Probably thinking, this is so much quicker than the Haas I drove in that year. It, it, to be fair, it's still a step forward from that Haas, good lord. Um, yeah, so there's that been going on. And crucially, Verstappen has uh, come out and said that he is not happy with the 2026 Formula One car plans and specifically the sort of new power units and the power splits. Yeah, I mean, it's still pretty early doors on all of the 2026 stuff, but from the concept he's seen, he's not a happy chap with it. And with there being an equal 50-50 split, as you're saying, kind of there between the internal combustion engine power and electrical power, Concerns have then emerged, not just from him, but from other drivers, that they'll be running out of battery halfway around the lap, which would not be good, and or needing to operate the cars in a weird way, like changing down gears on the straight. And Max has been saying, essentially, I've been talking about that as well with the team, and I've seen the data already on the simulator as well. To me, it looks pretty terrible. If you go flat out on the straight at Monza, and I don't know what it is, like four or 500 metres before the end of the straight, you have to dash flat out because that's faster. I think that's not the way forward. But of course, it's probably one of the worst tracks, which is not a good way to ever describe Monza or want to hear Monza described, especially by a Formula 1 driver, let alone essentially a triple world champion at this point, because we're just assuming that's what he is. So it's a little bit of a curious one, because I mean, why bog the car down with heavy batteries when the sustainable fuel that they've been developing in Vettel's proven works in Nigel Mansell's old car, for Christ's sake, would be 
readier to use by them. Leave Formula E to deal with the batteries. That's clearly their thing, and they figured out to not like us to stop going down the start finish straight. I mean, Valencia a couple of years ago being the exception there, and that was quite funny. But the sustainable fuel thing, I don't see why they aren't just focusing more on that and just go down that route. I get that you need a bit of a hybrid mixture to it, but again, surely that would take care of that. Well, I've I've written some sort of notes countering this, and obviously, um, when it comes to which what, what notes that relating to, um, yeah, this largely ties in with um, the whole idea of this sort of sustainable fuel thing is interesting, and equally the shift in power generation and the delivery, the way it's going to alter the way cars are driven. I can definitely see there being a change in how we have to drive the cars for certain, but I can't see teams working with a concept where clipping and harvesting impact straight line speed. That's not going to be the finished product. And I think this is likely an exaggeration of an early phase issue that's going to be resolved with gearing adjustments and equally software tweaks. Damon Hill had... The good thing, though, is that it's still only a couple of years away, though, and it's kind of... It may be an early tweak, but in the grand scheme of things, there isn't a lot of time to sort that all out to everyone's kind of mutual rough satisfaction. Mm, There isn't. I think Damon Hill really had a good point on the idea of simply scrapping the electrical systems, and it's definitely a valid one because there is this growing wave of e-fuels and sustainable fuels coming to the market for road cars especially there's no reason mm. that f1 can't use it as as essentially in the same way that have been f1 been. to road cars not road cars to f1 yeah that previously f1 has been very much the test bed for engineering technology it's had a trickle down impact on road cars i know that classic cars are already running sustainable fuels i ran my mg on some last month and if anything it ran better on a fuel custom brewed for that engine than it does on regular stuff out the pump. And admittedly, it does cost over £2.50 a litre, um, but that is relatively small fry in F1 terms. Mazda's heritage fleet now runs entirely on sustainable fuels, and it's a technology that's already got this road relevance and this proven ability to be sort of essentially brewed up and concocted for specific engines and applications. So there's no reason that F1 can't take that technology and further it hugely and move it on yards in fact and equally lighter cars with less to package can be smaller improving the racing not just on large traditional such heavy cars of this last couple of years especially and max has been complaining a lot about that too and saying he much prefer the 2021 cars and it's not hard to see why they're so much bigger and heavier it's a little bit you you're kind of evolving the wrong way there because you see like, yeah, we're moving forward with a lot of technology and everything, but you want them to be able to still overtake. You see, I know I say this a lot on, on here, but Formula E, one of the benefits of them is the fact that they have these smaller cars that, okay, they're nowhere near as fast or as powerful as the F1 cars, but also they're not doing too badly either. And they provide some great racing on street circuits specifically. And we really want that from F1. We don't want Monaco to be all sorted on the Saturday, for example. So if we're then lugging a ton of batteries that we don't really need in the back of it just to say, oh, look what we're doing. Former is like, yeah, no, we, we've got that. You you focus on you, yeah? yeah so this is the thing. If you can... Fit bag of it. You get rid of the hybridization thing. Hybridization is becoming less and less of a thing, even on road cars these days. It's very much an old hat trick for trying to get more out of petrol engines. We've very much reached the apex of what it can do. I think Formula 1 would be worth going back to 
looking at combustion fuels and finding sustainable ways of maintaining that. There is a way of doing it. And like you said, it's easier to package. Look at how good Formula 2, Formula 3, Formula E, and even the classics are around Monaco. Apply that level of packaging to F1, and there's a real chance that smaller tracks can provide better racing. And if we still need things like DRS or an equivalent, there's no reason that we can't follow the IndyCar route of push to pass. You still get the mm. rear wing opens up. You still get the rear of the car squats. And you just essentially have a computer raise the boost level and increase the fuel mapping. It's not hard to do that. It's t- all technology has been proven. And like you said, we saw Sebastian Vettel running Mansell's um, FW11, I think it would have been, or FW14 on the um, FW11, yeah, on sustainable fuels. There's, and equally, when he ran that really, really old Aston Martin, wasn't it like P Green or something yeah. at the French yeah. Grand Prix? That was on sustainable fuels. Cars that did the London to Brighton run last year, these are pre-1912 cars, were running sustainable fuels. You can make these for any engine and it incentivizes teams to work closer with fuel providers we'll go back to possibly seeing teams that work with obviously oil providers there's no reason those companies they simply do produce fuels there's no reason that teams are going to sort of shy away from the opportunity to brew a fuel that's specialized to their engine you get more of a diversity across the board and more interesting racing there's plenty of scope that could come from this in a fantastic way it just relies on formula one to realize that perhaps going electric is a bit different actually just get on with something you're good at don't be trying to compete with everyone else on these things just let everyone focus on their respective thing and just let nature take its course essentially a three liter v10 spinning on fuel that's been made from leftover biomass is going to sound fantastic and equally has no net carbon impact that's how hard can it be not that hard is the crucial element. Um, we'll move on to some stuff more relevant to Silverstone. And McLaren have lined up a special chrome, I say that in inverted commas, livery for the British Grand Prix, harking back to the MP421 in 2006. We have a Vodafone, which was sort of the Vodafone livery to Mercedes McLaren. Um, McLaren have added a splash of chrome, a splash of shiny to this year's car, and it looks a bit half-assed. Yeah, it's I just all right. don't like it. It's, it seems to me it's like either do it properly and hark back it's just one race and do the proper old school McLaren Ron Dennis era with Lewis Hamilton winning a championship kind of grey silver thing or just don't bother because I saw it and I was like, oh, is that it? Yeah, it, the, I think Zach Brown came forward and said that he didn't want the team to stray too far from the papaya branding for which they've become known. He sort of go for one race. I think we'll, I think we'll survive. Yeah, no, I, don't I don't think we'll forget what color McLarens are. Yeah, exactly. for one race, it's it's annoying, and it also starts off this little section I've got called half-assed liveries ahead of the Silverstone Grand Prix. Just a lot of McLaren stuff, rich and really from before. Yeah, because um, well, one album believes that they deserve points in Austria, which I think is an interesting thing. But they're coming to Silverstone for their 800th Grand Prix, and to celebrate this, they have unveiled a tasty-looking livery. And by tasty, I mean they've sort of slapped a Union Jack on the back of it and called it a day. I think what they've done, though, and what they've shown with the proposed other liveries for Singapore later in the year is that they're changing it, but just the right amount and not too much either. It's kind of like, here's just here's a Marvel multiverse version of it where it's going to have a subtle difference where, and it complements the main body, whereas McLaren just seemed to be like, throw some stuff at it, and Aston Martin, as we'll get to a second, I had to really look at it. I was like, oh, is that a different livery? Okay, sure. It's seems exactly the same with maybe an added sticker 
with Aston Martin, I thought the pictures they released were simply teasers of what, it, like a tease ahead of it. In reality, it is just yeah, the color on the like wind end plate. And then you spot one on the engine cover as well. But we'll go back to the Albon and points in Austria thing, because I know you've got some notes for that. Yeah, essentially just interesting that he was disappointed with his Austria performance and knowing they get points there. And then believes that Spa is the next obvious chance to score points. But as you're saying, given that Silverstone's the 800th Grand Prix, it's interesting that he's not believing they can get points there, or maybe he's just being coy about it and also got Budapest afterwards, which they've historically done well there. So it'll be very interesting to keep an eye on that one. Um, and with 800th Grand Prix, a lot of 800 markers, weirdly, at the moment, it would be just fun to see them get a few points. I'm not expecting a podium, but I'll happily take one. Um, but it's it's a good sign when, as we've found out with what James Vaughan has been saying lately about the state of Williams, when you look back at the last few years in particular, they've not been doing that badly when you think about it. Yeah, given what they've been operating on, the the distance they've had to the rest of the field hasn't been that bad in the grand scheme of things. But yeah, I think Silverstone will be an interesting one. I don't think it's a car particularly suited to this year's Williams, certainly not in race pace. I think one lap qualifying pace, it might have enough to get up there and i'll talk about that a bit using qualifying then he can just do what he normally does and just widen the car accordingly just just cling on to it um so yeah we've obviously covered williams special livery williams 800th grand prix aston martin's i say special livery very much inverted commas it's aston martin's added stickers ellie may your thoughts on the liveries we've seen this sort of unveiled for silverstone thanks for asking you disappeared. I was waiting for an appropriate moment to sort of drop you back in. You lost I your internet. I was back for the Williams livery bit, and I just got completely ignored. We, we were on a roll. I'm sorry. I just think it looks like they're about to enter the Olympics, but I like it. It it does look like Team GB livery. It, yeah, it does. Yeah. There's not a more deserving team, I think. Williams deserves that, honor. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they are very very much the British national team, I suppose. What about McLaren with the sort of vague... No, they need to get their fashion and everything together, sort of. (laughs) They can't represent Britain for us just yet. Aside from the fact that McLaren is technically Kiwi, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've seen some images or videos where I'm like, eh. And then others, it kind of looks okay. So I don't know, really. I think I need to see it on track. That will be, I think, the decider. And then, of course, there's Aston Martin's special round of stickers. It is just a special round of stickers. It's just an extra sponsor. Yeah. Well, they've it's got kind of stealing that out of Zach Brown's playbook of, oh, look, we've got a new sponsor. Basically means new livery. Yeah. They needed someone to chip in for um, Lawrence Stroll's helipad. Um, we'll move on from livery talk to... Uh, some interesting news that came out today, which is that Damien Lewis will be singing the national anthem at the British Grand Prix on Sunday. My man can do no wrong. Is, yeah. Is that because Brad Pitt is having his own little pit box in the pits, or is it completely... It would be a great excuse for him to be in the film, actually, now that you mention that. That's what I was going to say. Is it related, or...? I, I, I don't know. That's the first I've seen of it, but I do know he does have the occasional bit of singing and he does have a bit of a music career there so it's not completely unwarranted and random he can actually sing which is more than can be said for a lot of the people who do the national anthem for f1 these days um so we might actually get so i hope i don't regret seeing this but we might actually get something half decent 
he's got an album out at the moment, so I think this is like part of his album tour that he's. God save the king. This will be the first time we hear "God save the king" at a Grand Prix, and it will be out of Damien Lewis's lips. Yeah, yeah, it will because we're still seeing God save the king. Grand Prix, honest. Considering the usual people you see doing national anthems around the place, at least it's someone we a know and b can actually sing. Yeah, this is it's going to be interesting for certain. To break from tradition in many ways. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting nonetheless. I, everyone sort of did a double take when this appeared on Twitter. Everyone went, "Hey, are you sure?" Um, but yeah, that was interesting. And then the final little piece of news is that Heinz Harold Frentzen is now on Twitter and you should just go and follow him. He's an absolute delight. It's like someone's basically just let their dad go on a social media platform and just post pictures and videos from when he was racing. There's some brilliant behind the scenes footage and photographs of him with other drivers and doing sort of parade laps and all sorts. It, it's just nice. And he, he's just happy to be there. And I think his daughters encouraged him to do it and to sort of share the pictures and stories. So, uh, yeah, it's it's just sweet. Just a sweet, sweet thing. Um, ignoring that, though, we'll move ahead to the British Grand Prix. And Ellie May has her Fun Fact Corner. It's back. Because I remembered this time. Um. So I'll start off with just over a third of British Grand Prix winners are British, 73% and a half to be exact, and no one has ever won it from outside the top 10. Lewis Hamilton is the most successful driver around Silverstone, winning an astonishing eight times, four of those he did back-to-back between 2014 and 2017. Hamilton also holds the record for most poles here with seven, but it is Nigel Mansell who holds the record for the most fastest laps with 12. It isn't a wholly British fair, however, as a, as a constructor, Ferrari have the most wins with 18. The British Grand Prix is one of, only one of two countries to have continuously hosted a Formula One Grand Prix since its inception in 1950, and it was the first ever Formula One race. The first ever race was actually held on a Saturday, and it was the only F1 race the Queen ever attended. Alfa Romeo dominated the race, taking all three spots on the podium. And Alfa Romeo are the only team on the grid today who took part in the first race in 1950, and this year will more, more than likely be their last as they step away from Sauber, unless they decide to form some form of partnership with Haas. While Silverstone may have played host to the first ever F1 World Championship race, it, has, it hasn't always played host. It alternated its duties as host with Aintree back in 1955 and 63, with the exception of Aintree hosting it back-to-back in 1961 and 1962, before then alternating with Brands Hatch between 1964 and 1986. Silverstone then became a permanent host from 1987 onwards, and this leading me on to the question of, would you like to see Silverstone alternate its duties as British Grand Prix host with another British track? And if so, which one? Or would you like it to remain at Silverstone? Stay at Silverstone. Yeah, stay at Silverstone. <laughs> Silverstone's a great circuit for it. I don't think any of the other circuits are quite up to hosting or would be great quite great racing. Yeah. They can have three Grand Prix. Let's just have two if we need to go down that route. But let's not replace Silverstone with with, with another British track. You keep Silverstone for Silverstone. I think Donington... it's like saying we're going to go to Mugello instead of Monza. It's like no, no. You can have both, but but no. I think Donington would be the closest British circuit that would provide good racing for certain. Um, 
interesting layout, good elevation changes, some fast corners. There's enough for sort of drivers to work with and provide some good racing around. Um, but the problem is when you go to introduce Formula One to a circuit, it has to become grade one certified. And that means all kinds of new catch fencing, new kinds of barriers. And that rather ruins all the smaller circuits around the UK. Ellie May and I have both been to Brantach and Donington. I've been to many other smaller tracks around the UK. And the fact that you can get right up close to pretty much the edge of the circuit at them and enjoy every other form of motor racing that's going around there and feel a part of the action is fantastic. And it's what makes smaller British tracks so enthralling and entertaining whereas at silverstone even for non-f1 events you're sat miles from the action with huge gravel trap runoffs and massive high fences blocking your chance to sort of clearly see what's going on and if you're an amateur photographer and you want to try and get some nice pictures you've got all this fencing to try and shoot through whereas if you go to the likes of brands hatch donington park cadwell croft even goodwood you've got these beautiful beautiful circuits with nice easy vistas to shoot into i think it's it swings and roundabouts you could have some interesting racing at other circuits and i'd very much like to see a modern f1 car tackle brands hatch because i think the downforce coming into play as they go through paddock would be incredible and the speeds they'd achieve would be phenomenal but at the same time i don't want to ruin circuits that i enjoy attending because i can literally stand with nothing but a wire fence separating me from a 1970s f1 car caring past Short version, no. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Short version, no. Long version, no. Jesse le- likes the old tracks as they are. Leave them alone. Don't ruin them. So, is, is that all for the fun fact corner? Have we exhausted the fun facts? I am exhausted. Oh, well, fantastic. That's a different thing. <laughs> we can move on to the weather forecast then. And Thursday is set to enjoy sunshine with cloudy spells through the day. But crucially, it's going to be dry, 21 degrees Celsius thereabouts, uh, though it's a lot cooler than anticipated really for July. Friday follows very much the same forecast, but with more sunny spells. So we should see the temperatures hit around 27 degrees Celsius. Saturday sees the good weather break, though. A humid and high pressure morning will break in the afternoon with thunderstorms and rain set to be moving through so i'm going to want to pack my cagoule for that uh, sunday however is a lot more reflective of thursday 23 degrees celsius and sunny spells so it could be a dry race but certainly a damp qualifying which means which on-track battles should we look out for optimistically if we do get a damp qualifying like last year we could see the order shaken up verstappen is likely to still come out on top of all of it mind you in qualifying we could see the has pair capitalize on their car's aggressive use of tires to find traction and uh, on the wet surface and push for at least a Q2 appearance. Albon will have a chance to garner some important track positions as well. But by the time the checkered flag falls, I reckon we could see the Ferraris ahead of the Mercedes and Aston Martins this weekend. The cooler temperatures and middling abrasion of Silverstone should work in their favour. However, track evolution is limited here, which combined with the stratospheric lateral loads could see Ferraris having to utilise a higher downforce setup to preserve tyres at the risk of clipping their top speeds. Further down the field, the McLaren and Alpine battle is hotting up considerably, and coming into Silverstone, it's tricky to tell them apart. With a further bolstering of their upgrades, the Papaya team have the chance to fight two-handed, so it's going to be close. Haas will need a good strategy to combat their derisible race pace, uh, and should they qualify well. Williams will be looking to do the same, but have a better track record for actually clinging onto those positions. 
The two alphas, uh, Alpha Tauri and Alpha Romeo, are very much the outliers here and stand reasonably well to capitalize on jumbled up qualifying if their pit walls are on the button with bank collapse. Come the race, they'll be looking for their drivers to either navigate chassis floors if you're Alpha Romeo or simply avoid crashing if you're Alpha Tauri. Which leads us nicely into our predictions. And for pole position, we've all said exactly the same thing. I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point, isn't it, really? I'd like us to be wrong. Uh, yeah, I would I like us to be wrong. Forward. And I, I want to not even bother saying pole position of who we've got, um, because I think everyone and their dog knows who we've written for, yeah. for pole position here. Um, but we wish it was one of the other 19 drivers just for the sake of variety, if nothing else. It's not going to be, though, is it? Mixed qualifying, you never know. Mixed qualifying outside I've got of the to be top optimistic. One. It's the only thing keeping me going with this series at the point. So that's pole position. We'll move on to the podium. Ellie May, why don't you give us yours first? Did I write mine and yours, or did someone change mine? I just assumed you were smoking whatever you smoked before Austria. No, no you, I I've didn't write mine and yours, and you've written yours and mine. <laughs> Okay, Jesse, have you, have, Jesse, have you taken Eddie May's drugs then? I haven't taken Eddie May's drugs, but I've certainly taken a little spot on the Google Doc because I've gone for Leclerc to win the Stappen second stroll third. Yeah, I was like, that's definitely not me. I thought we were going to have to get an intervention for you soon if you kept going with predictions like this, Eddie May. No, I've gone for um, Verstappen win, Perez second, signs third. And I've obviously had to go with whatever the result of the last Grand Prix was, so Verstappen, Leclerc, Perez. Although, again, I wouldn't mind being wrong, just because it's Silverstone. And I don't want to say too much on this, but usually we get something different compared to literally everything else. Yeah, this is very true. We get something unique. The only time it was a little bit dull was the, amusingly, the, the anniversary Silverstone Grand Prix in 2020. That was the only last time it was dull. Yeah, I think. But aside from that, we generally have a decent time of it, and I really should stop saying that because I've got a bad feeling I'm ruining this for everyone. Yeah, well, but... taking away that race, it's usually a curse for Max Verstappen. That's why it's ended up being interesting. Yeah, he's not done particularly well there for the past few years. So even on account anyway. of bad strategy and just simply bad race or bad Hamilton. Um, so that's you the don't podium. Forget. Yeah, if you no longer go for a gap, you're no longer a racing driver. Admittedly, if that gap is smaller than your Formula One car, you should probably not go for it. Um, fastest, biscuit for a biscuit. Uh, that biscuit turned out to not so much be a custard cream, but a custard max creamed into the barriers. Um, Hamilton then won, though, so it was a risk worth taking for him, I guess. <laughs> it was a big risk. Um, it worked. <laughs> yeah, it did pay off, I think. Um he lost the season, though, so it doesn't really matter. Um, fastest lap. Um, Timo, your fastest lap. You're sticking with your boy, Carlos Sainz. with Carlos Sainz, and I can see that you're trying to claw back up the standings by copying me and, and hoping that you can get onto my tailcoat. I, I, I did the Ferraris looking good at the moment. I reckon Silverstone could be a good opportunity for Sainz to bag a fastest lap point. That's all I'm going to say on the matter. I'd be happy if any Mace prediction came right, though, because, again, it just gives us something different. I've gone for Lewis Hamilton. There's every chance, but... The, he's the trying to claw If ever there was a place for it, he would do it there, so... Yeah, he's trying to make sure that he has sort of the Grand Slam titles, so he's trying to sort of get Nigel Mansell's 12 fastest laps. Mm. 
We'll wait and see. However, the wild predictions, this is where it all goes a bit awry. And Timo's once again spread betting. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this, and I think I may have predicted this last year as well, and obviously that didn't happen. But So I'll try again, and maybe this will be my thing for the Brio Grand Prix, specifically until it happens. All three British drivers on the podium. And that's going to get tricky if we stop having three British drivers on the podium, but I'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Are we going to have to like reclaim a colony and all of a sudden count like Logan Sargent or Austria? Yeah, Aust- Australia is coming back under the... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, just claim Alex. Yeah, he raises a yeah, Thai mean, flag. Uh, I feel that somehow claiming Thailand as British is worse than simply well, claiming Australia mean, as British. I don't mean claiming Thailand, but more that he was born in Britain and has a British accent. No, I think if we've got to do this, we've got to go the whole hog and just reclaim the country, though. It's literally the day after the 4th of July. America America has proved that it can't be left to its own devices safely. We're taking it back. So so you've got the chance of Logan Sargent on there as well, then. It helps my chances, so I'm not going to complain. If if somehow now it's Piastri, Albon and Sargent on the podium, we've had an excellent race, ladies and gentlemen. We've had an excellent race. Oh, no, what we need is everyone's favourite Barbudan boy to get to Formula One, because, again, that's a common. That's not going to happen by the weekend, though. No, but it's a Commonwealth nation, and if he were to get on the podium, then that would technically also count under Timo's expanded Britonology. Okay, can I have a bonus point if we get a British podium in both F2 and both F3 races? I'm not sure we've got enough drivers in all of that, but if, if I go and work that out later... Hang on, no, yeah. let's work that out now. F1 drivers, F2 no, drivers... No, I can't have the bonus points, or no, we don't have enough drivers. Ellie May knows them off, off the top of her head. She knows yeah, immediately. Um, no, that's not going to give it to me with their nationality. Yeah, no Why not? The, the chances of it happening are so slim. Uh, no, it can't happen in Formula 2 where your only British driver is Oliver Behrman. Though, like I said, if you expand it to Commonwealth... I was going to say, I'm going to expand the Commonwealth. We can go for at least Crawford or Benavidez if we want to, or Correa if we want to include Americans. Obviously, okay. Dewan for your Australian and Maloney for your Barbuda. Okay, Formula 2, I'm covered. What about Formula 3? Formula 3, you're, uh, 2, you're covered. Formula 3, British drivers. Sullivan, Edgar, Browning, Oliver Gray... Christian Mansell, Taylor Bernard, and uh, Mackenzie Cresswell. And there was a new one that's just joined. Yeah, Mackenzie Cresswell, who's replacing, yeah, replacing Peter Wisnicki. I, I worked with a Taylor Bernard. Is it Might not be the one? same one. He's a yeah. lot younger. Born in 2004, 1st of June. I don't, I don't know the birthday of this guy. I just worked with him. Well, clearly not that close to him. Then. It's not he was one. born in Norwich, so... Well, unlikely. Like, well, he he wasn't at the same. He wasn't in uh, the Bristol headquarters. I'm not sure where he was actually. Um, We're treating him like it's the same person. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. It probably wasn't. He's apparently protege of Formula One world champion Nico Rosberg. No, oh. same doomed then. It means you're going to win one championship and go away. Um, but essentially, yes, you could have. Do you want to triple it? Triple it or nothing is is your option here. You can have it in F one, F two, and F three. You know what? I will triple it and nothing because you know what? If any of it happens, I'll be happy regardless, and I won't need okay. the points to be get the satisfaction out of it. Triple or nothing, Inkler, F two, and. F21. F3. I won't force you to also include um, Porsche Super Cup on that, which I don't no, know if that's no. got any British drivers in it, but that's always chaos. Um, Ellie May, your wild prediction. 
three or more DNFs in the first third of the race. Okay, how we define first third of the race? We do take number of laps and divide it by three. Okay, I don't know if we're going by the first hundred kilometers, which might not be a lap specifically. Uh, no, we'll we'll do it by lap. How many laps is that then? Uh, is there seventy lap? Uh, British Grand Prix. No, there is not. Fifty-two. So what's that divided by three? Seventeen point three. So what's three tenths of the way round? So if by the end of the first sector of the seventeenth of the eighteenth lap. Yep. Um, where does the first sector end? It's just as you come into Brooklands, isn't it? So yeah, sector one ends just before turn six. Okay, which is turn one, so two, it, three, four, five. Just before turn six, yeah, just before Brooklands. Yeah. I know my silver stones. Really? Yes. So lap eight, just as we go into lap 18, if someone retires, all three drivers have retired before the first driver enters Brooklands, we'll give it to you. I don't know why we're being so pedantic about this. Because it's a steady we need to catch her at all costs. No, I, I think it's more that we need to be very specific. Yeah, we're trying to increase the... The quality of the podcast, we have to make sure we increase the specificity of our predictions. So I'll be, say there's two DNFs, I'll be really hoping that someone bins it down. I'll be on that third straight. DNF, I'm about 19 now. Uh, and a th- 17 and a third, three out by Brooklyn's. Imagine on. someone has an engine failure and they're just trundling around and then they may just sitting there going, come on, come on, pull over. Pull retire over. the car, retire the car. Right now. <laughs> Um, okay, and my wild prediction is simply Joe top five. That is wild. It is. Been improvement on last year. Uh, yeah, which was top side down as opposed to top five. If he makes it to turn five, it'll be an improvement. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll wait and see. I, he's got a lot to prove, and I reckon this year he'll do it. He's got a, he's got a lot, lot of distance to make up, so he's going to do that all within the top five. Um, so that is our very wild um, preview of the British Grand Prix. I think that's pretty much all we've got time for. It's about a neat hour-long episode, so I hope you've enjoyed that. And we'll be back after the Grand Prix, reviewing all the action from Formula One and indeed the feeder series action across the weekend. So make sure you've liked, subscribed, and got notifications turned on to not miss anything. Found out today that Ellie Mae doesn't have notifications turned on for her own podcast. Simply shocking. Um, Timo, where can the people find you in the meantime? You can find me over on Is It Fast, On The Curbs, the Nitro Army podcast, Paddock Sorority, and of course, Instagram. Lots of content across all of those coming your way over the next week, month, year, forever. Good stuff. Ellie May, where can you be found? You can find me over on Instagram doing our graphics or track guides or over on TikTok. Beautiful stuff. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter as at Jesse on Cars. You can maybe find me on YouTube where I have a YouTube channel at Jesse on Cars, which hasn't had any fresh content on it since we transferred the podcast to its own independent channel. And you can also find me writing for Classic Car Weekly. I've got all sorts of interesting bits and pieces out in that. And if you're at Silverstone on Saturday, uh, give me a wave. I'll be there. Um, I'm not doing like a merch handout or anything. We don't have any merch. He'll, he'll be the one in the Apple Terry outfit from head to toe. He'll be easily spotted. They're a rare sight in nature. He I also... won't be because my um, discount Nico Hulkenberg still hasn't given me any Alpha Tauri merch. Oof. Uh, he also apparently looks like Stefano Ditsipas, so 
Yeah, just at least three inches shorter than him, though. But it's pretty close. I'm not as good at tennis as Stefano Sitsipas. End of the podcast, I reckon. That's all we've got time for. Yeah, that's all we've got time for this week. We'll be back after the British Bond Prix. (laughs) 